Hebrews chapter 8. I especially draw your attention to the words found in verse 6. He is the mediator of a better covenant. A new and better covenant. Now tonight we are really just introducing the second half of Hebrews chapter 8 and the following chapters. And in this portion of the word of God, there is a key word that is reoccurring. It is the word covenant. That word Paul uses many times at the end of chapter 8 and also in the chapters that follow. He talks about a better covenant. In verse 8, he talks about uh, the first covenant, the second covenant, a new covenant. He uses different ways to describe it. And he talks about the old passing away and the new in its place. And by this word covenant, Paul is meaning all that God has for his people. The means by which he makes his people his people and ministers to them salvation and brings them into the fellowship with him. He does it by means of his covenant, whereby he says to his people, I will be your God and you shall be my people. That's the substance of the covenant for God promises to be the God of his people. So all his saving promises God's mercy is covenant mercy. God's salvation is covenant salvation. His forgiveness is covenant forgiveness and it's all based on God's promises. And that covenant we are told in our text tonight is in the hands of a mediator because it says there in verse 6, he is the mediator of a better covenant. That's Christ. Now, he's a messenger of the covenant. We know that. He preached the gospel. He proclaimed God's mercy and God's salvation. But he not only preaches it. Every new covenant minister does that too. Preaches God's gracious and wonderful covenant of salvation and grace. But Christ doesn't only preach it. The text says he mediates it. He is a mediator, and he's the only mediator, for there's only one mediator between God and man. But he is not a mediator without this mighty covenant, whereby he powerfully mediates between God and sinners, bringing sinners to the Father. So he mediates this covenant. He comes between the Father and sinners and brings to us forgiveness and reconciliation. And he only does this as our great high priest at God's right hand, as our great king there, and he alone does this. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Only Christ, and he does this mediation now in heaven at God's right hand. He's not dealing with the old, which is what the priests on earth did. They only dealt with the old. And very weakly too. 
They could never be true mediators of the covenant. But Christ, having finished the work, having shed his atoning blood, now powerfully mediates to his people the new covenant. So this word covenant is frequently used hereafter. And I think it's used about 16 times by the apostle in this epistle. And it's nearly always now happening after this. He did use it once before in verse 22 of chapter 7. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And sometimes our translators translate the word covenant. And sometimes they translate the word testament. Because it's so tied up with his death, like a testament that comes into effect after death. And our translators, they vary the use of the, the word that is used to translate this word. So he's first introduced it there, a surety of the covenant, the mediator of the covenant. All this salvation, only Christ, the surety the mediator. Now this word covenant that Paul frequently uses and begins to introduce now strongly into the epistle is not his word as such. He hasn't invented this word. He hasn't made this word up somehow, pulled it out of a thinner and now introducing some kind of new theology no, he, he never makes up things. He always bases everything that he says on the Bible, on the Old Testament Scriptures. So what he does here is he pulls out an Old Testament word. And he particularly pulls it out in its use in the prophet of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is the prophet of the New covenant. If you want to study the new covenant in the Old Testament, the prophet that you want to study and the writings that you want to read are the writings of Jeremiah. He's the Old Testament voice of the new covenant. And what Paul does here is to largely quote in the end of chapter 8 here from Jeremiah. And he writes out a large quotation from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah and puts here in the epistle to the Hebrews. And what we have here is the largest Old Testament quotation that is found in the New Testament. And it runs to a number of verses and Paul takes the time just to write it out. He makes little comment he just writes the text out. He lets the scripture speak where this word covenant is found. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. And then he writes out these verses. And then after he writes them out, he makes a couple of comments at the end. In that he saith, verse 13, a new covenant. He made the first old. And then he goes on into the next chapters beginning to speak about the old and the new covenant. So what the apostle is telling us here is that the new covenant is biblical. 
It's revealed in the scriptures that we have been expecting it and now it has come. So he's careful to use the word of God. And he's always doing that, isn't he? Haven't we seen that so often? Time and time again, he quotes the scriptures, he quotes the Old Testament because he wants us to know that Christianity is based on the Bible. It's based on the Word of God. Even the Old Testament Word of God, it's not contrary to the Old Testament Scriptures. It's based on it. That's foundational in our understanding of the Christian religion. So we are assured that we are not following cunningly devised fables. That Jesus of Nazareth is not a mere man who has in history been cunningly twisted to appear as someone different. No, Jesus of Nazareth is fulfillment. Jesus of Nazareth is the surety for the new covenant. He's the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus of Nazareth is the one that we have expected to come And he is the one who bestows new covenant blessings. It's all based on the Bible. We're not creating some figment, some imaginary thing. It's been predicted by God in the word of God. So Jesus of Nazareth is fulfillment. And in Christ, God has done what he has promised in the old. In such places as Jeremiah chapter 31. But not only Jeremiah chapter 31. In all the holy scriptures of the Old Testament. He has fulfilled. So whenever Paul uses the word Old Testament. New Testament. Old Covenant. New Covenant. He is not talking about the scriptures as such. We use those terms now of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, but he is not using the terms in that way. He's not speaking of scriptures. Now, it's a good way to call the Bible in its two parts, the Old and the New, because in the Old, it's mainly dealing with the Old Covenant, God's way of administering his grace amongst the people in the Old Dispensation, and now the New, having been brought in by Christ, described in the New Testament scriptures, and so we call them New Covenant scriptures. So they're good titles, but the apostle is not using them in reference to the scriptures. He is speaking about an old ministration and a new ministration, God's old way of dealing with his people, and now the much more effectual, the much more mighty and powerful way Of dealing with his people. In the hands of an incarnate. Slain. Resurrected redeemer. Reigning. At God's right hand. And there's a great difference. Now the old's not bad. But the new's better. More mightier. More effective. More powerful. In the old. God is dealing with shadows. And types and prophecies. And images. But in the new he's dealing with. The substance. Of the reality. 
all in Jesus Christ. So Paul is speaking about the Old Covenant and the New Testament in that regard and not just so much to the, the, the Bible. So the veil now is gone, you see. And we have access now direct to heaven itself. And God is directing us by his Holy Spirit to Christ, through whom all covenant blessings now come, through Christ and through Christ alone. Now we have to wade through this passage and the portions that are ahead of us, and that which follows in the next chapters, they are intense portions. And we're going to have to put on our theological caps to wade our way through them. We like history. We like stories. And there are plenty of stories and plenty of history in the Bible. We like that. And we have the picture of the history and the story before us. And it's all much easier to take in. Or we like the practical. We like to be told ABC. This is what we should do. This is what we must do. Uh, This is what we can receive grace from Christ to do. We like practical preaching but we find theological thinking difficult it appears to us to be drier to be more difficult it seems to stretch our intellects and it requires us to think a little harder than normal and few of us find theology easy But these are theological chapters and we're going to have to put on our thinking cap and work our way through them. So bear with us. Give us your attention. We are like what Paul has said earlier. You remember how he said, you're dull of hearing. You remember how he said, I have many things to say. They're hard to be uttered because we're dull of hearing. But Paul goes on to utter them anyway under inspiration. So we have to deal with this matter of being dull of hearing. Not wanting to think. Not wanting to give our attention. Not wanting to focus. We have to make the effort. We have to grapple with the theological concepts and terms. Because we have to think right. Paul wants the Christians to think right about their Savior. Paul wants the Christians to think right about the dispensation in which they now find themselves through Christ. We have to think as seeing that which is invisible. The Christian has to think right. He's not to think in terms of the old, things to see and handle, and to smell and to hear, the incense and the the blood and all the material. No, we have to think beyond that now. He wants us to think right. And that is why he is speaking that the way that he does. And he wants us to think right because he wants us to live right. You can't live right if you don't think right. And so Paul wants us to think right. He wants us to think not as the Jews, not as an Old Testament believer in bondage, in the shadows. He wants us to think as those that are the liberated sons of God in the new covenant. And so he is dealing with all this theology so that our 
practical life will be right. And our worship will be right. And how we behave every Lord's Day in our assembly will be right. He's aiming at the practical, but he has to do it through the theological concepts that we imbibe in our mind and in our understanding. And so we can't live the same as the Jews did before Christ. There's something remarkable that has happened. And it is folly to live like the Jew before Christ lived. It's impossible in actual fact, if you're a Christian, to live like that. We're living in the new covenant times. And that's because Jesus Christ has done something that has changed everything, even as the Old Testament scriptures predicted. And first and foremost is this new thing. What Paul calls the new covenant. What Jeremiah the prophet in the mouth of God says, Behold, I will make with you a new covenant. There's something new. And there's something new coming And that something new has now come first and foremost because Christ is new. Christ is new. What's different now between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What's the great difference? The great difference is Christ. He's new. Even before we think about the covenant being new of which he is the mediator it is essentially new because he's new. He's better. It's not what this epistle to the Hebrews is all about. Better than the prophets. Better than Moses. Better than Aaron. Better than angels. He's better. He's God's best. And he's new. So before we get to grapple with this term covenant, I want to make you think how Christ is new. That lies at the heart of all of this. Our focus is on him. And not just the covenant he mediates. He's made the mediator. He's new. The covenant is mediated because only he can mediate it. The old cannot mediate it. Old Aaron can't mediate it. Old Moses can't mediate it. We need someone new. Who is able who has the ability, who has the power to do this, to mediate it. And Christ is the new. Moses couldn't do it. And we had to wait. Grappling with the old, we had to wait until Christ came, until the new came. And now he has come. And what a change with that. And so he has come, the new and he has brought in the new with his death and with his blood and with his resurrection that's all new you see this death is new this mighty atoning blood is new this resurrection is something that has never been seen before it's new this ascension is something that has been unknown Until now, it's new. It's new. 
See, God's intention was always the everlasting gospel. His salvation to the ends of the earth. But it can only be accomplished through Christ and through his blood. It was never intended, indeed it was impossible for it to be accomplished through Moses or through Aaron or through the old or through the shadows. No, it could only be done through Christ. And it cannot be done until he comes. And when the fullness of time was come, the set time, the new appeared, he came. And so in the meantime, the old administration can only have shadow form and picture form, can only deal with uh, washings, fleshly washings with the material, can't bring in the true forgiveness of sins, the true cleansing of the human heart, the true regeneration Yes, God's people still find forgiveness in the old through God's grace. They still obtain salvation in the old, but they don't have the same degree of grace. They don't have the same light. They don't have the same power and infilling of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the same universality of that grace that goes out amongst the nations in mighty power, much less in the old it was. It's like being brought into greater understanding and into greater blessings, into greater liberty. The old believers are like little infants, really. And we are the ones who've been brought as the adults into the full inheritance in Christ. So the riches of grace are not ministered to the people of God the same in the Old Testament. Especially they did not have the outpouring of the Spirit as we do in the new covenant. And so not as many were saved in the old covenant. And they who were saved were just mostly a little Jewish remnant. But now the new has come in Jesus Christ. And he has fulfilled and done away the veil and brought in this everlasting covenant And multitudes now are being saved of Jews and Gentiles. And this comes about through the new high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. The new mediator of the new covenant. He's not only the second. After the first. He's the last. He's the better. He's the best. And there's nothing more after him. Nothing to come after him. He is what it all was pointing to. The last Adam. There was a first Adam. There was a second Adam. There was a third Adam. You can study them through the scriptures. But he's the last. He's the new. The better. And Christians have to think like that you see. He's the final. He's the fullness. There's nothing more after him. He fulfills all. And he brings in the reality. The new covenant. Christ is it. So Christ is new. Now whenever I say he's new. I don't mean that he's a new person that just began 2,000 years ago. He's not new in that sense. He's the eternal son of God. He is before all worlds. He is the eternal one. He is the first and the last eternally. He's not a new person. 
He's from everlasting, the eternal I am, as he says, the always new, the unchangeably new, yesterday, today, and forever, the immutable Christ. So in his person he is not new, he is eternal. But at the incarnation, there's something new. There's a new God-man. There is the Word made flesh. That's new. That has never been before. That is something new that has broken into our world, which is bringing to us the new covenant and God's salvation. The Word made flesh. So the new covenant begins with this new person coming among us. The God-man. And then especially his cross work. As he offers up himself a sacrifice for sin. That's new. That's utterly new. And it's still fresh. The new cross. And his atoning blood. Is new. Before that it was just the old. Running. The beasts. Running blood from the temple and the tabernacle. But now Christ has come. And has offered the sacrifice of his body and blood. That's new. That's wonderfully new. And that's what we sinners need. For salvation. So his blood is new. And that's the basis of all of this. You see. And in the Bible the blood is so often linked with the covenant. Remember how the prophecy of Zechariah says. By the blood of thy covenant. I have sent forth thy prisoners. Out of the prison. Out of the pit. It's the blood of the covenant. Do you remember how Christ is raised again from the dead? How is he raised again from the dead? He's raised again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. This new blood. This covenantal blood. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. We've come to that. We've come to him, the mediator of this new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling. That speaks better things than that of Abel. And so it's better because Christ mediates it. Christ and his blood guarantees it. Now that Christ has brought this in and that he is the guarantee and surety and mediator of the new covenant, he assured the church of this, especially on the eve of his sacrifice. You remember how he wanted to do something very important with his apostles, the upper room and all of that? He got them together. He got them together especially for this purpose of speaking about the new covenant. And he introduced the fellowship meal. And he's talking about the sacrifice that he's to make in relation to the covenant and the sacrificial meal that is picturing it. He brought all of that in on the eve of his death, before he leaves them, before he goes away. So Paul is only telling us what Christ has himself told us. Christ himself brought in this word covenant. He had it on his dying lips as he spent his last minutes with his people. It's a word Christ uses. So we're not pulling it out of Paul's mind merely, and Paul's imagination. No, this is biblical. This is Christ's mind. This is the mind of Christ. And so I remind you of the Lord's table. 
Whenever we partake of the Lord's table, we're, taking, we're partaking of the, the only new covenant meal that he has given us. It's a new covenant meal. And it pictures the marriage supper that we will enjoy at the consummation when we sit down liberally with the Lamb in our resurrected humanity. And until the Lord comes, we have to have the fellowship meal, which is a covenantal meal. A new covenant meal, just as baptism is a new covenant ritual of admittance into the body of Christ. So he was eating, and he took bread, you remember, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. I'm talking about my sacrifice now. He took the cup, this is my blood. He's, he's talking about his, his offering, the once for all offering, which is the very basis and foundation of the new covenant. And so he took the bread, he broke it, he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a cup, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this new covenant. Before his death. And we can't sit down at this table together, brethren and sisters, but all the riches of the new covenant ratified in the blood of Christ are brought before us. We're not Jews in the old, tied up and bogged down in all the shadows. We are Christians in the new, sitting down at a wonderful fellowship table in all the simplicity of the gospel with our exalted Lord who has washed away all our sins in his grace. That's where we are. He's bringing in the new now. The better. And so, that's what we have, have here before us. We certainly are told here that the mediator, he imparts the true grace. The grace that in, is internal. I'll give them a new heart. I'll write my laws in their heart. It's internal. Verse 10. This is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And you, and you must remember that all of those who were around him were Israelites at that time in the upper room. It was Israel. The only Israel that believed in him. And of course on the day of Pentecost there were thousands more of Jews that were saved than what, what were converted. So, so it's made with Israel and with Judah. The believing Israel and Judah, the remnant. And the Gentiles are brought in now as well. And now in large Gentiles outnumber those who are of Jewish descent. But it was made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, made with the Jews. We're not waiting for it to be brought in at the end of the world with some imaginary Israelite nation. No, it was brought in by Christ at his death and resurrection and ascension. This is what this is all about. Hebrews doesn't mean anything if it doesn't mean that. So it's internal. It's in the heart. And it brings us into a true relationship with God. All that Jesus Christ does as this mediator I'll be their God. I'll be, they'll be my people. They'll know me. They'll not have to teach one another. But they'll just know me by the indwelling Holy Spirit and through my word. 
the least of them, the, the, the smallest and the poorest of them, to the greatest of them, they'll all know me. Even as we all know the Lord tonight, who have experienced the power of the new covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of salvation, this all comes through the new covenant blessings. We know the Lord. We know the Lord. We want to know him more, that I might know him, and the power, more and more of his power, but we do know him. We know him more than the Old Testament believers knew him. We know him now in Jesus Christ, his Son, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he provides the true forgiveness of sins, the reality. I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and their iniquities. I'll remember no more. So it's heart work. And as I said, Jeremiah is a prophet of the new covenant. And he's always using this expression, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord. Now you study Jeremiah, and you study that expression, Behold, the day has come. The Lord's talking about these, these new covenant days. Behold, the day has come. I'll raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king will reign. He's doing that now. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will perform the good thing which I promised to the house of Israel. In those days and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up. That's Christ. And in his days, Judah will be saved. Those are the days we're in now. That's fulfilled now. The prophecies of the prophet Jeremiah and the new covenant blessings or have come to us now in Jesus Christ. This is what the apostle is saying. And Jeremiah wasn't the only one predicted it. Ezekiel did too. Behold, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It'll be an everlasting covenant with them. And I'll set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. Emmanuel, the Lord dwelling with us. The day has come. I'll sprinkle a clean water upon you. You'll be clean from all your filthiness and all your idols. I'll cleanse you. A new heart will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. And I'll cause you to work in my statutes. That, that in essence is a new covenant blessings. That's Ezekiel speaking about it. Christ has brought this. He mediates all of this to us. There's no one else. We're looking to him. And Paul says we are in that time now. Look at verse 13. The days have come now and the old is obsolete. Verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant. He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old. That's the old covenant. Is ready to vanish away. It hasn't vanished away yet because this was written before AD 70. The temple's still there. The ritual's still going on. But it's ready to vanish away. It's soon going to be obsolete. And in AD 70 it was made obsolete. It's gone now. You only read about it in the Bible now. That's all. The shadows have gone. God has blew the shadows away. Because now, we as Christians are living in the, the substance, in the reality 
of a mighty Savior at the right hand of God making intercession for us and bringing to us all the promised blessings of his saving grace. Now, we're in the new. So there has to be a change then, doesn't there? The old cannot stay. It's impossible. Now, Israel rejected Christ. We know many of them. And many of the Jews are still stuck in the old. It's really sad, isn't it? They don't see Christ. They don't see the reality. The veil is gone, but it's nearly like, while it's gone, it's nearly like it was thrown over them. The veil's over them, and they just can't see beyond it. They still can't see beyond the veil. The Lord has thrown it over them. But that's not the end of the story. One day, even the Lord is going to take away the veil from them. And they're going to see. Even the Jews are going to see. And all Israel will be saved. So God hasn't finished with Israel and with Jews. But we as Christians and Jews who are to be converted must never be stuck in the old again. We can never go back to the old. There's no going back to Judaism. There's no going back to a temple at Jerusalem. It's gone. It's passed away. We have Christ as the temple. He's the sanctuary of God who dwells with us. And we'll dwell with him forever and ever. We have the reality in Christ. Because he is new. And he brings in the new. He brings in the better. And he brings in the best. And he brings in the final. And he brings in the complete. As Paul says, ye are complete in him. In him. And so he's the minister of the true tabernacle. In the heavens, Christ alone. So he is the living mediator of the better covenant. And there's nothing better than it. It's the best. It's the final. So let us, as Paul continually exhorts us in this epistle, let us keep on believing in him. Let us keep on looking to him. Him alone. Through him we get the new heart. Through him we get the Holy Spirit. Through him we get the forgiveness of sins. Through him we get the persevering grace. Through him we get God to be our God forever and ever. Through him we get the eternal life. The sum and substance of all the covenant blessings in Christ and in Christ alone. Keep looking on to Jesus and to him alone. And don't take your eyes off him. Never take your eyes off him. Keep looking to him till you breathe your last. And especially when you breathe your last. Keep looking on to Jesus. Let us pray.